the blast from our past network. Hey everybody, it's your two favorite podcast hosts, Adam and Corey from Cartwright, a Seinfeld podcast, and we have something very exciting to tell you about. That's right. We have decided to take on not just Seinfeld, but also Curb Your Enthusiasm, exclusive to our Patreon feed. So that means every single month we go episode by episode of Curb Your Enthusiasm. And the fun thing is, I've never seen Curb Your Enthusiasm before, so I am super excited to go down this road with you, Adam. But even better, when you join at the Curb Your Enthusiasm tier, you also unlock the complete back catalog of Cartwright, a Seinfeld podcast, totally ad-free. So you get Seinfeld, you get Curb, and you get Adam and Corey. What else could you want? I don't know, maybe to dip my bald head in oil and rub it all over your body? Uh, I'm sorry, Corey, that's another tier. We're not ready for that yet. (laughs) Yeah, you're right. All right, well, now back to Cartwright, a Seinfeld podcast. Cartwright! Cartwright! Hello, Newman. This is so f***ing good! Pretzels are making me thirsty! Not that there's anything wrong with that. Serenity now! He's a regifter! Well, let's start the insanity. Giddy up. Welcome to Cartwright, a Seinfeld podcast. We are two super fans going through every single episode of Seinfeld. Back to back to back to back to back. Well, we already did that, actually. And now we're just kind of going over other stuff that we want to. And we have got a fun one for you today. Uh, an entirely new episode that is uh, not really an episode. It's a spec script, and we'll talk about it. I'm Adam. I'm Corey. And that's right. We are talking about the spec script titled The Twin Towers, a dark mm-hmm. a dark comedy that is uh, sort of a partial parody of Seinfeld, mm-hmm. but yet it's so good that it could actually be a Seinfeld script. Yeah, it exactly. It kind of does feel like it fits into the realm. Uh, so the first thing I want to ask you, not everyone knows this. Corey, explain to our listeners, what is a spec script? That is a script that you write on your own. The writer writes it on their own, uh, hoping to sell it versus the other way around is where a studio will actually pay a writer to write a movie or something. A spec script is when they write it on their own, hoping to sell it, but you get no money for it up front. Exactly. I, Spec you know, stands for speculative, speculate, basically. Yes, exactly. I've had friends who kind of make little like spec commercials or things mm-hmm. like that, you know, and, and mostly they're just doing it for fun, but yeah. it is kind of a thing that to kind of put your name out there to try to be like, hey, look, I, I want to be part of this brand or I kind of want to I want to write something. I want to do something in this world. And in that regard, uh, Billy, I believe his name is Domino. Uh, he wrote this back in 2016. Uh, as far as like a, hey, check this out type of thing, uh, I think it was mission accomplished because when this hit the interwebs, uh, I mean, at this point years ago, um, it kind of blew up with the help of uh, the AV Club, that website and everything. Mm-hmm. And uh, just to let you all know, um, if you want to read the script, it, the link is going to be in the body of the uh, episode notes here. So go 
check that out. And we, since we're going to be referencing the AV Club uh, article as well, I'm going to link to that as well. And please, you know, go read that too. So um, this, uh, I remember hearing about this. I was working, I think I was driving for Lyft at the time. And then this script came out, and I remember reading it on my lunch break one time, like at a subway, because that's all I ever fucking ate when I was doing Lyft. And I read hey, it. Hey, five dollar and- footlongs. Were you getting skinny like uh, Jared? Yeah, I was getting skinny like Jared. Were you touching kids like Jared? I was gonna say, good thing I don't have the <laughs> proclivities that he has. <laughs> but uh, I remember reading it. And I remember being very impressed by it. Uh, Adam, did you know about this before we we talked about it prior? Um, I. Th- feel like uh, I not really not really I think I knew about it mostly from you like when we were recording Cartwright or whatnot you kind of always brought this up, like oh we should do this one we got to talk about this one after we're done with everything I'm like okay I don't know what that is but sure uh, <laughs> you're like sounds like a good idea I don't know sure it just it just never really got around to me I guess yeah okay so. um before we sort of dive into like a freeform discussion uh I think it's oh, yeah. best uh, for me to sort of um, uh, give a little description of it. And I'm I'm going to use the article uh, written by Carolyn uh, Said, Said uh, published back in August uh, 2016, again, AV Club. Um, but she does a great, she has a great paragraph breakdown, since Adam and I are not going to be going through this episode scene by scene like we would a normal episode. In Twin Towers, Jerry, George, Elaine, and Kramer all deal with slightly mundane 9-11-related conundrums that, naturally, wind up intersecting with one another in the episode's finale. Jerry develops an aversion to the dust that settled all over New York City. Elaine discovers, much to her chagrin, that the guy she wanted to dump didn't end up dying in the attack. George is mistaken for a mysterious hero who saved a dozen people from the World Trade Center. And Kramer tries to get the government to replace his box cutters which were stolen by his friend and used in the 9-11 hijacking. Yeah, that is our uh, basic synopsis. Um, I do want to bring up Billy Domino just a little bit. Uh, The article does say that he used to be a writer for the Onion News Network, uh, so he's kind of used to parody and things like that. Mm -hmm. And the idea came to him when he said he was helping someone write a sketch a few months back uh, and told them there that they, they need theirs needed to be uh, an exercise in bad taste. Like imagine if there was a nine 11 episode of Seinfeld, wait a minute. Uh, that's what it says. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I saw that. And it, it is interesting because you mentioned uh, he was a writer for the onion and the onion is a, a parody site. I think they're still around. I, I don't know how relevant they are mm-hmm. now that reality seems to intersect with the onion. Um, <laughs> But I think that that background helps him capture the voice of all four of these characters uh, because, you know, over there they have to you have to, you know, be a parody of things, meaning if you're going to parody something, you have to know how that sounds and works regularly before you can sort of make fun of it. You know? Yep. Agreed. I actually looked up uh, Billy Domino on IMDb. I'm not not sure it's the same guy. But how many people are named Billy Domino, spelled the exact same very French kind of way? Yeah, I was going to say, it's not spelled the way you guys think it's spelled. Exactly. Uh, And so I'm assuming it's the same guy, but this guy apparently also was a staff writer for Family Guy for a little bit, um, I think, after this. And then uh, also in 2021 and 2022, uh, a writer on SNL. So again, makes sense. Parody, sketch, that kind of stuff. So I, I assume that's the same dude. 
Yeah. Yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, uh, yeah. well, first off, um, so I know we're about to go into kind of like, we're not really doing a scene-by-scene scene breakdown, but I, I do want to start off, man. Um, we're talking the Twin Towers, as you mentioned, mm-hmm. and this episode starts off with a stand-up. So, Corey, my man, could you read us that stand-up? <laughs> yeah, that's right, buddy. We get a we get a stand-up. It comes back. I'm curious to hear what you think of it, but I'll, I'll read this one really quick. You think they ever get backed up at the gates of heaven? Too many people die at once. It's just overwhelming the system. It's got to be like the DMV on a Friday. Everyone take a number. You'll be judged in the order you slipped the surly bonds of earth. God's angry at St. Peter. What's going on? Keep the lie moving. I've got three angels on vacation. What do you want? All these poor souls just standing around reading old magazines. This is taking an eternity. I could have been in hell by now. <laughs> so, I mean, it's it's dark. Obviously, this whole episode is dark. But I found this to be one of his better stand-ups. <laughs> um, you know, I, I wouldn't say that the voice of Jerry... Jerry's stand-up style is dead on in this, mm-hmm. but things that I liked about it is it just seemed to fit yes. knowing that that where the episode is kind of even not knowing where the episode is going to go or knowing it's a, a you know 9-11 one starting off with this kind of dark and death kind of comedy right away. I really liked that. This this was a good way to start the episode. I completely agree. I would I would honestly like to watch it. Uh, uh, him do this stand up, and it should be noted since we're talking stand ups, uh, this does not have a, a, a final stand up in this script. Yeah, and that is one little not quite a knock on it, but that is one of my comments um, that I guess I'll probably reiterate at the end of it is that there was no real tag or stand up at the end, and it needed one of them because Seinfeld has either one of those pretty much every episode. Yeah, I I agree. I I was like, okay, cool, no stand-up, that's fine. But then I didn't know, like, would the stuff that happens at the end, could they put that during the tag? Or do you think they would have written credits tag? Yeah, it, it didn't feel like a tag to me. It felt like an episode ender. And then you add a little tag that adds an extra joke at the end. Right, exactly. And, and so... It's in, I find it interesting. It's kind of to the same conversation. Uh, he even puts in Act 1, Act 2 in here. He, yeah. he puts in notes like End of Cold Open. And mm-hmm. I wasn't sure if those were normal notes that a TV script would have because I'm more familiar with movie scripts than TV scripts. Um, and then at the same time, yeah. would the tag, would they say credits, like would it say plays during closing credits or something? Like would that say it in the script? Um, I... You or is what? that a decision ne- the editor makes at the time? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I've never worked I've on I've worked on a couple TV shows like they're very small kind of things, but they didn't have that breakdown. They also never broke it down between act 1 act 2. Right. They, yeah. They never called that out like, "Hey, guess what? Boom, here we're going to shift to the next act." Uh, it just felt that felt like a very writer thing to do. Like I don't know, like a um, you know, not not necessarily like an actual script that I've seen but I'm with you actually I ended up working on a lot more movies than I did on shows yeah yeah and it could have just been more of like a knowing that this was never going to like actually be produced he might have added a little Mm. bit more notes to sort of help the flow go along sure yeah I mean that's one thing that I remember being taught in film school um, or maybe it was on the job or whatnot I was never a writer so I never really had to deal with it but I remember someone telling me that directors hate it 
when you overwrite on a script of what somebody should be doing and or how their face is or how those I was like that's my decision that's, that's, how yep. dare you tell me how to direct this and yep. they get all pissy about that <laughs> yes yeah no that cuz i mean a lot of people we you know talk about oh you know people like Steven Spielberg and stuff who control every aspect of the movie and you're like oh you know mm. but really at the end of the day the director is supposed to be directing the actors. That's their main job. And yeah, I see yeah. what you're saying. I've heard the same thing before where directors that they're like, no, don't over explain the acting in it to me. Let me interpret it because there is weirdly a lot of times supposed to be a disconnect between the writer and the director. It's almost two mm-hmm. visions of the same thing. It's just movie. It's just people like Quentin Tarantino who yeah. kind of do everything together. And that's where you get these more auteurs. But yeah. Yeah, it is kind of crazy when you really think of the breakdown of, well, here's my interpretation of the script, and then the director is interpreting that, and then the editor has to interpret the footage, or, or I guess the DP mm-hmm. first has to has mm-hmm. to uh, interpret also the script and the director's, you know, uh, vision into a visual side, and then the editor interprets kind of most of that stuff as well, and so, you know. Movies are not one person's art. No. Like, they are this amalgam of so many people creating this one thing. It's pretty insane. Even when you have an auteur like Quentin Tarantino, a lot of times their editor, and a lot of times they'll even say it, their editor brings the movie together. If anything, the editor is probably one of the most important aspects of the entire process. Oh, I absolutely would agree. I mean, I remember (laughs) uh, reading or watching some stuff about how think like star wars how, how star marshall wars lucas saved the joke fucking... exactly yeah. and then george lucas's wife really made the movie what we became came to know and love like because it was just terribly done and then she had all these suggestions and like hey let's do it this way and then that became freaking awesome and there's actually a vice mini series i think it's like five episodes where they're basically talking to unsung heroes, and this first one, season one, was pretty much about Marsha Lucas and other sort of unsung people that helped get Star Wars a new hope to where it was, you know? <laughs> okay. Well, let's get us back <laughs> <Yeah>. to Seinfeld. <laughs> yeah. How about that? All right? All right, so, yeah, let's, let's break down a little bit more of these different storylines that you kind of mentioned up. So, George starts off. And I'm going to go through every kind of different storyline very yeah. basically. Yeah. Um, George starts off offending some first responders. Uh, he, you know. He <laughs> wants to be a hero, but he's not. Yeah. Yeah. And he mentions that to Jerry and he says, like, you know what? Oh, they're lucky. It just fell in their lap. They're just <laughs> yeah. lucky people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just like, oh, again, some darkness there. Love that. Yes. Um, you know, it does feel a bit harsh for George to say that exactly. Um, but still, it's it's flirting with actual George and what we've kind of heard from him before. Yeah. Uh, and I, if anything, I'd say almost every character goes into the extreme version of what they were and in whether that's yeah. parody or not, I'm not sure, but a lot of, it's still a lot of times they, he handles it better than other uh, times on the show. You know what I mean? Sure. And that's kind of, I think where I felt this episode, if you would, if it would be made feels like, how if it was made actually in 2001 because how Seinfeld was progressing with them becoming more yes. and more caricatures yes. this actually kind of fits how far they would have become if it happened in 2001 I completely agree <laughs> I think he I think the writer got the escalation correctly yep yeah absolutely so all right so eventually George gets mistaken uh for 
a person who saved who saved them, this random lady. This came out of nowhere. I will say one of the issues I had, or it's a little knock on the episode for sure, was, oh, this person, George, caught this lady from falling. And she's like, I know that touch. I'm like, what the fuck did that come from? Yeah. It feels like a stretch. Yeah. And then and then later when he sort of syncs up with these people, um, <laughs> I think he called them my survivors. <laughs> yeah, um, my survivors. You know, they yeah. say like, oh, one of the ladies says like, oh, I, I you know, you had the, the sneeze of a hero. So, of course, that's going to come back later yeah, to play which into it. I knew it. immediately the second that they were emphasizing, oh, yeah, this very unique sneeze. I'm like. Well, that's how they're going to realize it's not him. Right. And and I felt the same way as you. Like, I liked where it got George, but how they opened the door to it. Because, like, George just basically mm-hmm. kind of tripped and then in monks and then kind of put his hand on somebody's shoulder. And they're like, oh, I know you. I know that hand. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I, I, I don't particularly care for the setup. If anything, it sort of matches... The failures of of Seinfeld episodes, like when a Seinfeld episode mm. is is a lower rating for us, it's for this reason, and it's funny because it, you could even say maybe it was by design. But the low parts of this script, I think, adhere to low parts of Seinfeld. They don't feel it doesn't feel like it's outside okay. of Seinfeld. Does that make sense? It does. Okay, it does. Yeah. All right. So. Um... We'll kind of get back to George in a second. Yeah, his, uh, his plotline is the most central, I'd say. Yes, I would agree. Um, then uh, Elaine brings up uh, at Monks that now I thought this was awesome. I actually, I quite liked her storyline. I, I think it was maybe the most accurate. <laughs> Honestly, my, my, my notes are Elaine's storyline is the most relatable. It yeah. might not be my favorite. I don't know. I do very much enjoy yeah. it, but the setup is fan fucking tastic. Exactly. So. She's dating someone who she thought died in the attack, and she is okay with it. You know, almost not gleeful, but uh, at least, you know, content with it because she was going to have to break up with him. She He, he was too animated. He yes. would make all these noises and do these weird things, and she didn't like it. Uh, and then eventually, uh-oh, she finds out, fuck, he's still alive. <laughs> <laughs> and there's, that means they're still together. Uh, and so... You know, she has to go talk to him and all this kind of stuff. Um, and he's in the hospital, obviously kind of busted up. We've actually seen that before with Elaine. That's, and yes. that's going to be something that I'm going to come back to in a bit. Fucking triangles um, and shit. <laughs> no, that, well, that a lot of this stuff I feel like we've seen. Yeah. Um, and, and I get that, though. Uh, as a writer, you know, you're kind of just pulling these tropes. And also it's, he's writing a parody episode. Yeah, it's exactly. not quite necessarily yeah. a actual blown episode. Um, but anyway... Then they're watching some stuff on TV in the hospital room, and he eventually thinks, because his coworkers also call out George as being a savior, that he must have saved George as well. And so he gets all excited and also remembers words that he was apparently told about he must live life. And so Elaine and him ended up getting engaged because she can't fucking say no because, you yeah, know, she feels too bad. She, then she would be the monster is what she exactly, says. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. Uh, but alluding to George, who's the actual monster for taking credit for shit. So. And I do like how how confrontational this makes her towards George in this episode because she because mm. she views George as the source of all her problems essentially, and and he kind of is in a way, I guess. Yeah, yeah, I guess yeah for this storyline for her anyway. Yeah. Um. Well, I mean, 
yeah, it, I guess the escalation of it. Right. She's in charge, but like, but he's alive still. Um, not because of George, obviously, but but but, yeah, he 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 pushes things to the oh, I'm gonna propose and all that kind of stuff because oh, he's alive and he remembers who he thinks is George and shit right. like that. So all yeah. Right. And and the um, thing, my note for this storyline and the script as a whole, and maybe this episode as a whole, um, I think for me, th- who they cast as Brian, and how funny he is, and how <laughs> like how he does the the animation and all yeah. that kind of stuff, I think that would sort of be essential to our an accurate rating of this episode. You know what I mean? Because okay. we're not getting that from the script. We we get the dialogue from the script, but we don't get the actor how they would sort of portray all these funny motions and sound effects that Brian tends to do. All right, I'm going to call you out. It's 2001, Corey. Set your mind back. It's 2001, maybe 2002 when this episode comes out. Yeah, I, if it's around 2001 or so, I might be a little bit off, but who I sort of envisioned it being uh, would be Steven Ranazizi, who played Kevin in The League. That's who I'd want to see play Brian. Oh, yeah, yeah. This seems... A little early for him. I, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, that's that's what I'm thinking as well. Unfortunately. Yeah. Okay. But whatever. What? Who would you want to see play Brian? Um. Within a ten year, you give yourself a ten year buffer. Well, you know. <laughs> you know who I think would actually be a pretty, and actually, kind of looks like him, but he, he was too big of a star at this time because he was also in, uh, come not necessarily a competing show um because i think they were on the same network um but i think matthew perry oh yeah from Freddy, from Chan- chandler from you know i think he could have he could have been that's, a, a decent that's actually a decent brian yeah that's actually really good yeah what was he mr sunshine or some show like that i think i used to watch back and i watched a couple of his post friend shows okay um, but yeah, yeah, I, yeah i think that's a good one actually you know what I think I think Matthew Perry would be fi- fantastic in that because he could he could do all the exaggerations and everything. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. He had good exaggerations, so. and it'd be kind okay. of fun to bring a major Friends player into Seinfeld. Sure. Yep. Uh, all right. So uh, we then come to Kramer's storyline and let's talk about that. Um, apparently, unknowingly, he was friends with one of the terrorists before the attack, and he may have pushed him to do nine eleven. At first, uh, and also he apparently let him borrow his box cutter, which we know that uh, the guys use box cutters to yeah. kill the uh, pilots, and um, and then you know take the planes and whatnot. And uh, Kramer is distraught by the loss of his box cutter. It was a good box cutter. <laughs> it, was, <laughs> it was a Matsuyama box cutter. Yeah, it was of course. Fucking awesome. Of course. Um, exactly. And, yeah, this is shades of like fucking uh, the slicer and yeah. other shit like that. For yeah, sure. and it's nice because it helps bring Newman into the episode. Actually, we get to see a lot of side characters in this episode. Yeah. Um, I think this is funny because it jives with Kramer being friends with this guy. It also jives with Kramer telling him to, well, why don't you do something about it? Like he was always complaining about America and he's like, well, I thought he was just going to write a letter to his congressman. Yeah, That's that, what I like. That was fitting. <laughs> I, I agree. I think it's the Kramer line actually started off as my favorite. And then I felt it got a little bit dumber and dumber and dumber and dumber as it kept going. It's funny because I said earlier that I, you know, I, I think maybe Elaine's was my favorite, but I'm not sure. It's because 
it kind of intersects. Like, Kramer yeah. I like sometimes more, and Elaine's I like sometimes more, but ultimately, Kramer's sort of devolves into your typical Kramer weirdness, where he winds up with, like, a fucking bladed knife at the at the ball and everything. You know, like, just weird shit like that, that you're just like, yeah. okay. And all because he, you know, falls through the door and lands in the kitchen and shit, you know? Yeah, and we didn't we didn't really get closure on the box cutter stuff. No, um, not to say we needed it, but I don't know. I mean, but yeah, it just it also Kramer he does push for dumb things like this, but he's not to say he's a complete idiot and an uncompassionate person. Um, actually, and oftentimes he seems to be the most compassionate <laughs> of the group. Well, but and, then, then this goes to with what you were saying earlier, escalation. This is the dumb Kramer that we didn't yeah. like at the end of Seinfeld. Yeah, and I, and I think that's probably why the worse this got of the more he was um, ignoring, you know, the idea of, oh, letting everyone know that this was the terrorist box cutter, that it was actually his, you know, that just felt worse and worse. But yeah, it's right, because it was the escalation of the Kramer that, that I didn't care for, Yep, you know. You know, I'd been a little bit better for me probably if he was having to hide the fact that his friend got, well, how'd you get it? Well, uh, I can't tell you, you know, but in this, in this episode, he was telling everybody he was damn near proud of it. And it was like, that's, that just seems too idiotic. And I mean, and oblivious and oblivious and Kramer has always to me been a man about towns. He, he is the ultimate New Yorker. He's friends yeah. with everybody. He's like, yeah, and he knows New York unless he gets, you know, mm-hmm. lost at the, the nexus of these of the universe on first and first. Um, you know, like... How can a street intersect with itself? <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, it's just like... I, I felt the same way. I think he would have been... Maybe... What if we saw through his eyes he was the one that was most shook up by the by 9/11. You know, and he yeah. was what if it turned him into the voice of reason? That's where I thought they were going at first because he was like I thought they were going to go with oh shit, he was going to have like a mental breakdown because he felt he caused 9/11. Yeah. And then they went and then they went stupid Kramer. And then yeah. and that's why I think this episode makes sense in like season quote unquote 12. Yes, <laughs> of yeah. the show. Yeah, no, I I I completely Completely agree, and I do completely agree that that Kramer's storyline falls off for me at the end. Even though, you know, I'll, I'll give it points for having everything connect. I mean, this guy does yes. the best job of connecting everything. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's it's a Kramer that I don't love, and it's a Kramer that I don't know would actually technically exist. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, that's it's diving into the world of Always Sunny. It's diving into yeah. the world of people who have zero credit connection with humanity, which Kramer, you're right. He has all these friends. He's got his Bob Sacamanos. He's got all these guys that, you know, we've never fucking seen, but he, you're right. A man of the town. Yeah. You love that about him. And, you know, I know you're going to start talking about Jerry, but let me just say on the escalation thing, Jerry started out on this show. Yeah, he was a little bit of a germaphobe, but by the end, we all knew he was a germaphobe. This is the biggest example of the character escalating and then becoming a one note character. Yeah. Yeah. I, I did want to just mention, cause we didn't, we kind of glossed a little bit over it. Kramer's storyline continues as he's trying to recoup his costs for this box cutter. And it all becomes for 20 bucks. Yeah. 20 bucks. And that, again, that just seems a little ridiculous. Um, but that becomes his whole thing. He's got to get his money back for his box cutter and they owe him. Um, 
no, but okay. <laughs> and he acquires like a mini army of, of people, kind of like how George does, weirdly, um, but they're on yeah. the other side of it. And it, I do like the fact that at least they address the sort of the conspiracy theory stuff as well, uh, you know, as it being a government yeah, yeah, inside yeah, yeah, job yeah. and all that kind of stuff. And then one of the guys is like Kramer's uh, people. He's just like, well, he's, he's going away for a long time, you know? <laughs> yep. All right. So let's talk Jerry. And you're right. This is, this is beyond season nine, Jerry, you know, at least you know what we got from season nine, if he throws a belt away because it was in a bathroom with somebody kind of thing. Um, so there's the 9-11 dust everywhere. Yeah. Uh, and Jerry notices it. He's starting to notice it everywhere. And he's like, oh, this could be people. This is other stuff. Oh, this is freaking me out. And it becomes his entire personality this episode, which is not the Jerry I love. We love even Steven Jerry. Yeah. And this is, this is kind of beyond that. Yeah, because he doesn't kind of win in the end it's one of those ones well it's an, another yeah. one that we don't love either this is definitely an episode where jerry doesn't feel like the main character it feels like mm-hmm. a mostly george storyline and and maybe elaine being the secondary because theirs are so interlinked um yeah but you and i have always sort of had a not a problem but have always been like eh, a little bit cold on episodes where jerry's not the main person and on top of it yeah where he doesn't end up on top at the end, or, or at least even, you know what I mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. End up on, yeah. on top of the tower. <laughs> as our main guy, and as our probably most sane amongst the crew, I want him to kind of help help me through the episode with these other kind of wacky characters around him. But um, he, so him being this crazy is kind of, kind of strange. And he does act as the voice of reason for George. Like he, he does pretty much like, like I like the scene where he's kind of touching George's head. George's like, what are you looking for? He's like looking for the hole where your soul escaped, you know? And he's like, maybe we can patch it yeah. back up before it's too late. But I do like how, how, how much he picks at George, but it is also another episode where it kind of sucks seeing George and Jerry sort of at odds the entire time. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah, exactly. My favorite stuff is having their, their friendship yeah. guide us through something. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yep. I've already, I've already adjusted my, my score down half a point because of what, how, we're just, <laughs> how we're talking. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I had an idea of what my score was going to be in my head, but I knew it was going to be fluid because I knew we yeah. were going to have to talk this one out, you know? Yep. Absolutely. All right. So, um, side characters I mean, in this episode. So yeah, we 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 see Uncle Leo. We see Jackie uh, Frank Child, and Cass- Frank Jackie Child, Frank and Estelle. Uh, no Seinfelds. Um, but uh, who else do we get? Uh, here's what I want to bring oh, Newman, up. Newman, of course. Newman. Yeah. Here's what I want to bring up. We see Steinbrenner. We get Wilhelm. So oh, George. Yeah. So yeah. George is working back at the Yankees. This is what I have a problem with. Bot- botched it. Yeah, because like he he was gone from the Yankees for an entire season when the show actually existed. So our, I guess me as a reader needed something, some line. Maybe Steinbrenner says like maybe when we brought you back on board, we thought you know that was a mistake, but you turned out to be a hero. Like I needed to see some kind of reason for Steinbrenner to be back in the picture. And it felt like the writer was just like, yeah, George works for Steinbrenner. Like, I'm sure he fucking watched every season and everything. Mm-hmm. But I think in his head, he was probably, like, yeah, George worked for the, you know, the, the Yankees. That was, you know, where he was at, you know? And, and I get, I, I, as a, as a fan, you know, you would think if you're continuing, you would follow the actual plot of Seinfeld and how he's not with the Yankees anymore. But I kind of get how he chose George to still be there. 
because the Yankees are so iconically New York. Yeah. And if you're going to tackle such an you know an a important moment in New York history, you're going to tie in as much New York as possible. But I agree. I think he kind of fucked up a little bit right there um, because he shouldn't have still been there. And honestly, I'll mention it in our next episode. You can't pass over Kruger, man. Yeah. yeah <laughs> I fucking I, love Kruger. I, I, yes, we will mention Kruger <laughs> in our next episode. Um, yeah, I, I agree with you. And at the same time, too, I know that he's writing this on the speculation that, you know, this is like season 12 or something. But us as readers, I would also like a mention of their year in jail. You know, just like, oh, man, this is this is yeah. worse than than when we were in jail. You Exactly. You can't ignore it. Fuck yeah. That would be great. So, um, all right. I want to transition to a couple things that I think this uh, this script did well. Yeah. And um, the the best thing, uh, in my opinion, was how it had all of our four different story or our four kind of main characters doing their own story. And then by the end, there was good interweaving or at the least intersecting of every storyline affected another one of the characters storylines. That was always something we loved with uh, top-tier Seinfeld. Yep, I completely agree. Um, it's also, it makes me appreciate it so much more now that we're covering Curb Your Enthusiasm, and there's yeah. so little connective tissue sometimes, and, and it you know that does affect our scores and everything. But this was like, this was a perfect example of how to make everything connect. And maybe we don't dig every storyline, but I give the, I give them props for making everything connect and also making like one storyline affect another person's storyline and stuff like that. There was actual cause and effect going on that I yeah. enjoyed. Um, yep. And I knew, I kind of had a feeling you were going to like that as well. Uh, one thing that I thought the writer also did very well was capture all four of our main characters sort of voice. They, in my head... They sounded like them, like very few times where I was like, oh, I don't know if that person would do this or that person would do that or they would say very few for the most part, 95 percent of the time. To me, it sounded just like how they would talk. I mentioned basically that exact same thing in my notes is that you're right. Uh, for the vast majority, it felt like it was their voices that we had come to know and love. And there were only very few options or few times that it kind of felt off. But you're right. Uh, absolutely. Good job of capturing the feel of each character. The biggest off, I would say, would be George dodging the, the punch from the... Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, no, there's no way. George would have yeah. been punched. <laughs> George dodging the punch, George catching that lady or whatever the fuck it was yeah. that he, like, you know, his his quick reaction skills, I guess, is kind of a George thing, um, but also not. He's he's doofusy. Yeah. It, and he's, he's, he's a blunderous bub yeah exactly but i do like how in his story he talks about how how he survived by like timing his jump when he's falling on some rubble to like basically yeah. float I'll say it's, I mean, that's that's that the mind of a, a child thing. <laughs> yeah that is the mind of a child like a superhero at the very you know you're falling at you know uh nine meters per second second and you have to jump at that same thing to whatever it is but like it's a ridiculous idea. If I can jump, you know, if I can jump as hard as I'm falling, I'll even out. Yeah. Uh, and that's kind of what he says he did. But um, and if but, I had yeah. one wish, it would maybe to have Putty in there. Like I, I would oh, like yeah. I would have liked his perspective as a as a mechanic. Maybe he would have been like, oh, uh, they wouldn't have fallen like that you know, or something. Do you know what I mean? I, I mean, I wouldn't have minded if he called Hey, Lane. Hey, you alive? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That's it. 
Okay. And then he just hangs up. And that's it. Yeah, that's it. Perfect. That, w- that would have been the perfect use of puns. Yeah. So. so. Uh, all right. So a couple things that, that could have improved upon, in my opinion. Um, we mentioned also, I do want to say, I'm uh, sorry. I like the tag or the uh, uh, stand up at the beginning. Awesome. Yeah. You know, I'm a fan of those. Like over time, it worked out pretty well. Or at least like, you know, you have to have a tie in um, and it tied in very well. Yeah. Could have worked on, as we mentioned, a tag at the end yep. or a closing stand up. One of those two things to wrap it up a little bit better. Um, it wrapped up, but then there's always like in the later seasons, there was always an extra little joke given. And so I wanted that extra joke. Um, can I can I make a suggestion? Yeah. I would have put so Kramer at some point calls Jackie Childs. Jackie Childs kind of brushes him off, and then Boom. and then you find out that Jackie Childs is actually taking the case from the Saudi Saudis or whatever. Put Love the, it. Put the Saudi part at the end of this tag and kind of come yeah. back to Jackie Childs, and he's basically I don't know defend doing whatever with the Saudis, you know? Yeah, yeah. I, I think that's a, that's a pretty good pretty good call. Yeah, I like that a lot. Yeah. Um, all right. Um, Jerry Seinfeld just felt a bit. Jerry, his storyline just felt a bit far fetched for me. Yeah. Um, but again, I guess I'm trying to get into the mindset of if Seinfeld continued, how they became more and more characters, then I guess, and, and more one note, then I guess that would have worked. Um, another thing this episode didn't really do was kind of those wonderful little obscure pop culture references. Like almost yes. every Seinfeld episode, they mention, oh, like such and such, and I have to go look up, like, who the fuck are they talking about? Like, like a Bazooka Joe thing, you know? Yeah. Exactly. And they didn't really have any of that in this episode. It would have, I would have liked it. It would have made uh, sense for Seinfeld for me. You, you know what I would have liked to have seen? This hmm. was the death of Bob Sacamano. Oh, like, that would have been good. What if we found out that Bob Sacamano died in it? Yeah. Oh, man, that would have been. And then Kramer has to just deal with the issue that he might have caused his friend's death. Whoa, I love that. Whoa. And actually kind of get weird with it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, I like that man. a lot. Okay. Okay. I like that a lot. So, um, and then also, as I already kind of mentioned, Kramer's storyline felt a bit out of touch of reality for me. It just got to stupider and stupider Kramer where it started off really good. And then they went to a place that was just like that. Just even, even my Kramer isn't that um, just heartless, (laughs) you know? Yeah. I I agree with that. I agree with that. Um, I agree with all, all, all the negatives, not negative things you're saying, but like the, the, the dings that this episode uh, takes and everything on, I do. I would like to insert a, a positive thing. Uh, Uncle sure. Leo actually mentions uh, co- cousin Jeffrey, so we get a he cousin does. Jeffrey yeah, that's back. funny. It's like, cool. Okay, yeah, I agree. Yeah. Uh, one of the things. So on the uh, AV Club um, article that I was reading through, I went through read some of the notes about it as well, like people's comments. Some people are like, "Oh, this is perfect." Other people are like, "This doesn't sound anything like fucking Seinfeld." Yeah, yeah all that kind of shit. Yeah. Um, one note that I think I think was pretty fitting was uh, a one reply. It's more a rehash of well-known Seinfeldian tropes into an immediate post 9-11 context. I mean, all four characters have plots that are nearly beat for beat uh, from different episodes of the show, but just in different contexts. And I felt like that was pretty similar. And, and then tying to the mindset of a parody and not a continuation, that makes more sense for me. But like every single one of these characters, Elaine, when she's dealt with a... Um, 
uh, someone that she's trying to break up with, especially someone in the hospital, all this kind of stuff. George taking credit for shit that he didn't deserve. Um, Kramer wanting, you know, uh, you know, some kind of re- uh, repentance for shit that he for, for felt something, he shouldn't have lost. And something so small too, you know. So small. I'll go back to like yeah, simple, like, simple, similar enough to like the bagel no bagel episode. Yeah. He left his bagel, I and mean, he feels like he just still deserves that kind of stuff. And then Jerry's cleanliness stuff going to a, a whole new tee. It, it felt like shit we've all seen before, but just kind of put into nine eleven. To me, it almost feels like an AI written script. Um, but, but it wasn't. But but you know, whenever yeah. AI writes something, they just draw from from what previously exists and kind of vomit it out. If this was produced nowadays, I think most people are like, oh, that was AI wrote that script. Um, and yeah. I I think I think your points are absolutely valid. I think that uh, commenters points are af- yes. absolutely yeah, valid no as well. Um, but again, I also think your comment should be noted that I do believe that this was intended to be a parody first. And, sure. But it just turned out to be so good that it fit, it, you know, like a good parody that it actually would actually work. But I do believe the intention was to be a parody. Okay. And I think put it in that context makes more sense. Yeah. And I like it better that way. So final thoughts and a, a, a review score. I want to let you go first because you're a bit more uh, critical of things than I am, and you're a bit more uh, thoughtful than I am. I kind of more go by go by the hip, the gut, you know? Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, I thought, in general, props to this guy. Um, this script impressed me, and I think for a lot of ways, it fit very much Seinfeld. Um, and so... I liked it. And my critiques, I think my critiques are correct. You know, I have stand by all of my critiques. I 100% agree with your critiques. I'm not saying I could write a better script yeah. than this guy could. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. I'm not, I'm not pretending I'm a writer. Um, but I will say this got a little silly for me. And it be, it was a script of a Seinfeld episode that would have been later Seinfeld where we would have seen the degradation. Um, and so... As it, envisioning the episode as I did while I was reading the script, I was like, okay, how would this fit? Eh, this would be meh for me. But I want to give this guy all the props in the world because I think he did a phenomenal job. Because is this a believable Seinfeld script? Yes, it is, yeah. actually. Parody or not, yeah. it's a believable script. And I would have to end up giving it, uh, if this was an actual episode as I kind of saw in my head, I'd give it two out of five. Matsuyama box cutters. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, I I don't think you're wrong there. Um, as excited as I was about it, and as much as I enjoyed reading it as a new piece of Seinfeld content, um, it doesn't mean that I thought it was perfect. And mm-hmm. I knew going into it, I was kind of like sort of around the mid-tier range and everything, um, but I was hoping that we could sort of focus it and, and narrow my thoughts down. And I think you helped me with that. Um, everything, I, I stand by everything I said and I stand by everything you said. I think you're 100% correct on your critiques of it and whatnot. Um, I still had a fun time with it. I'm with you. I want to give this guy the highest props and I'm never going to pretend that I can write anything at all, if not better, but at all, period. Um, but I did enjoy this. I think it's at least a mid-tier Seinfeld. And as... As usual with you and me, I'm usually a point five <laughs> higher than you, so I'm gonna give this two point five 
Ma- magical jumps to safety out of five. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's not perfect. It's fun, and it got a lot yeah. of traction at the time. I don't know if people still talk about it, but at the time it was big. But in reading it, I immensely enjoyed myself reading it, but it's not perfect, and I think you you are correct in a lot of your critiques of it. Yeah, per usual, I'm usually correct. Yes, <laughs> you case, are. So. As per usual, I'm the guy that throws away all the uh, old scores and then have to go back and re-listen to everything. <laughs> um, everybody out there, thank you guys. Uh, and I do want to recommend for everyone who hasn't, go to our notes and click the link. Read this script. You know, it didn't take too long for, for anybody to read. Um, but it is, it's worth your time just because it's like, you know what? You're not going to get any more Seinfeld. I can tell you that. And so if this is one extra episode, that's not that bad. No, no, exactly. So yeah, go check it out. And uh, of course, go check out our Curb Your Enthusiasm after show. Adam and I are, uh, well, about halfway through the entire series at this point, because we're starting to chip away at season seven. Uh, And if so, if season 12 is the actual end, I just saw a a Reddit article today being like, is season 12 going to be the end? You know, I was like, I didn't even read it, but I was like, it's, I mean, well, they'll tell us if it is or isn't, you know? Yeah, we'll figure it uh, we'll out. We'll figure later. it out. We have time to get there. But uh, that is our main uh, focus right now. Uh, Adam and I are rocking and rolling on Curb, and uh, we're having a good time. Whether we enjoy the episode or not, we're having a blast. And as I always say, I feel like I'm getting a better appreciation for Seinfeld as I'm going down the Curb Your Enthusiasm rabbit hole. All right, everybody. We'll catch you guys next time with our top 10 favorite side characters from Seinfeld. Hey everybody, I'm Corey. And I'm Zach. And we're the hosts of Podcasting After Dark, a cast dedicated to late night horror and sci-fi of the 80s and 90s, often found on HBO and Cinemax. You know, the movies your parents didn't want you watching as a kid. You can find us every other week on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, and Stitcher. This is what you want. This is what you get. Have you been wondering where's the beef? Well, on our podcast, Throwback Trivia Takedown, you might just find that out, as well as some other things about the 70s, 80s, and 90s. We're a nostalgic-based trivia show that pits two challengers head-to-head in a duel of the decades, with categories ranging from movies, TV and music, to slang, food, and fashion. You're sure to get the best in retro-themed trivia. So strap on your jelly shoes, grab a surge, and walk like an Egyptian to your favorite podcast app and check out Throwback Trivia Takedown. I heard even Mikey likes it.